Okay, so I need to do some big picture kind of stuff as we get started. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter four, but um, we started off our study in Jonah uh, sort of learning about inductive Bible study, how you uh, deductive means that you look for clues and, and try to develop the big picture. Inductive means that you look at the big picture and try to work your way down to the main thing. And so we agreed last week that the main thing in Jonah was the sovereignty of God, the character of God, the person of God. But let me, let me do just a couple of things as we get started, just to sort of clue us in. Um, I know that this is a shock to some of you, but the Bible was not written in chapters. <laughs> it wasn't written in verses. It was just a continuous scroll. And it wasn't until the 13th century, uh, credit is given to Stephen Langton, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 13th century, who created the chapter system. So he organized the Bible into chapters. And then it wasn't until the 16th century where a guy named Robert Stephanus created verses. So the 13th century, uh, we, we finally had chapters. The 16th century, we finally had verses. But we sort of take it for granted and sometimes we get too dependent on the chapters and verses to, uh, to not see the, the literary movements that are going on. And so I, I want to uh, do a little practice on that in just a second. Now, the chapters and verses are not inspired by God. Okay, that, that's just a way that man arranged the scripture to make it more accessible to us. I am grateful for those men. They, they have contributed to the kingdom of God by allowing us accessibility to it. But if you read the Hebrew scroll, Jonah, it would just be one continuous set of words. And Hebrew doesn't have any vowels, so that makes it even worse. You, you kind of have to have context and, and, and to make sure that the markings around the text are, are informing. So, so in this particular one, the individual units are given to us by scholars through the centuries. With that said, I want to show you something in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, there's three sections, okay? There, there is a break between uh, verse 10 of chapter 3 and verse 1 of chapter 4. So, so the, the chapter break was... Was, was placed there. But now I want to go down even further and look at paragraphs. There were paragraphs in the Hebrew, and the paragraphs were what allowed us to see sort of the, the way that the, the story was unfolding in the scripture. So if you look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, you see that the subject of that paragraph is Jonah. Then if you look at chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, it's a new thought, but the subject is still Jonah. If you look at verses 9 through 11, it's a different subject, 
and the and the, the different topic and the subject is clearly God. So in the first one, Jonah was displeased. In the second paragraph, Jonah went out of the city. And in the third paragraph, God initiates a conversation with Jonah. So we have three kind of movements in the, the scripture and, and a dirty little secret as to how I prepare sermons every single week. I look for the paragraphs because if I'm, if I'm going to suggest points or, or, or ideas or application, I want to flow with where the scripture flows. Now, a lot of times the breaks are artificial, especially with the Apostle Paul. He hated punctuation. And like in Ephesians, the first seven verses of chapter two are one sentence. And so you, you occasionally have to make allowances, but generally as we teach or as we preach the scripture, we want to do the best we can following the, the storyline that's in the scripture so that we don't make it say something it doesn't say or not say what it does say, because Revelation has a pretty stern warning about that. All right. So second thing, words matter. You've heard me say in the, the, the sermons on Sunday morning, uh, the difference between the words, especially the words that the Hebrews used for God. So the personal uh, Yahweh, and again, there are no vowels in Hebrew. So the, the, the way that Yahweh is spelled in the Hebrew is Y-W-H-W, Yahweh. We added the vowels because we need them. But the, uh, the, the most common way that God is mentioned in the scriptures is the very personal Yahweh. And it's usually translated in modern translations with uh, all capital letters, but with the L being larger than the other capital letters. So it'd be L-O-R-D. That's translation of the word Yahweh. If you look in Jonah chapter 4, uh, I'm Jonah chapter 3, um, chapter 3, verse 1, then the word of the Lord. So that's translated Yahweh. If you go on down to chapter 3 and verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. You see how that's different. Uh, it's not L-O-R-D anymore. It's uh, capital G-O-D. And that would be a translation of the word Elohim, which is the, the majestic creator, sovereign, uh, some would say unreachable. And so whenever Yahweh is used, it's reminding us that God dwells among us. He is our personal God. He loves us. He clings to us. He, he draws us to himself. But the Ninevites didn't know him. They, they didn't know him as a covenant God. The, the Hebrews had, had, had been circumcised and they had been called in the covenant and they had heard of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and King David. And now all of a sudden there is a, uh, a, a God who is far away, majestic, fearful, 
And that's usually translated Elohim or G-O-D in our translations. Do, do your translations have that different? Yeah. So in the end of chapter three, um, the king is making the pronouncement. He says, let everyone call out to God. Chapter uh, three, verse eight. Uh, chapter three, verse nine. Who knows God may turn and relent. And so in chapter four, it pleased, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. We'll get to why he's angry in just a minute. But look at the word choice. He said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? In other words, he appealed to the personal, the, the accessible. But you go on down in chapter 4, verse 6. Now the Lord God, it does both of them. It does both Yahweh and Elohim. So it's it's helping us understand that that this is sovereign God. And 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 the the reason that Elohim is used there is that the very next word is the word appointed. That that the sovereign God, the powerful God, the 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 Lord of the universe, he appointed, he he, uh, he spoke to the plant. But then when we keep reading, verse 7, when dawn came the next day, Elohim, creator, sovereign, appointed a worm. When the sun rose, verse 8, God appointed. Um, God said to Jonah, it switches voices there. And part of the reason that it's switching voices, it's almost like dad hearing the kids cutting up, and he says, Don't make me come down there. Don't, don't, don't make me stop this car. And so all of a sudden, God is Elohim, he's the he's the sovereign. And uh it's it's these two words together appear 42 times in Jonah. 42 times. Say the, the Lord God? No, either Yahweh or Elohim or both. How do you spell Elohim? E-L-O-H-I-M is our English transliteration. Elohim. You have to ask that. I was, no. I spelled it. Yeah, I was way off. How'd you do, Richard? <laughs> Went the Yahweh way. I said, all right, I, uh, just all vowel, all consonants. Uh, no, I threw, I threw an A and an I. All right, that works. <laughs> so, the reason that I say let's take a look at paragraphs is so that in chapter four we can see the movement. We we almost get that Jonah's the subject in the first eight verses, and and that's sort of part of the story. That his selfishness and his his ego is getting in the way. And even though God is the overriding subject of the whole book, 42 times God's name is here. Only 27 times do we have Jonah and Nineveh combined. So Jonah and the Ninevites are the other two characters in the story. If you take all the mentions of Jonah and all the mentions of the Ninevites, you only get 27. And God is 42 times. Just in case you're keeping score at home, the fish, only four. 
And a lot of people think the whole book of Jonah is about a fish. It's not. It's about God. All right? So, a little bit of uh, seminary to get out of the way. Um, there was one more word that in the, the commentaries that I read that some of the scholars made a pretty big deal about. Guess what word is mentioned 12 times in the book of Jonah? The word seed, as in the first couple of chapters, when S-E-A, the 12 times C is mentioned. And it, if you think about it, Jonah wants to escape to the sea. Now, when you're standing on the beach looking at the ocean, what do you see? This vast, endless, uncontrollable, if I was going to run from God, I'd run to the sea because it seems to have no end. I picture God is on the land. I'm going to get on the sea. I'm going to go as far away from him as I can get. But is it possible that the book mentions that so much to remind us and where we will end today and cows? Is it possibly to remind us that God is sovereign over everything? That God controls the uncontrollable. God spans the unspannable. God, uh, he, he fathoms the unfathomable. He, he is God. And yet 12 times the sea is mentioned. And in spite of his vastness, God used the sea to accomplish his will. God ordained the sea. God appointed the sea. God uh, directed the sea. God directed the fish. God directed the plants. So, so the, the human factor in this is the human factor. The Ninevites decided whether or not they would repent. Jonah decided whether or not he'd be obedient. But everything else in the story that represents nature, the sea, the fish, the plant, and cows, they all do what God wills. And that, that, that's part of creation. Only man has the ability to defy God. Only man has the ability to say uh, to God, I don't want you. So paragraphs are helpful. Words are helpful. Now let's dive into the scripture. Any questions or or do I need to back up or are you expecting your grades for the seminary class in <laughs> biblical interpretation? All right. Chapter four, verse one. But it, what is it? What displeased Jonah greatly? That he let the Ninevites off the hook. Yeah, he, he the, the Ninevites repented, and God relented, and Jonah was not happy about that. And it gets funnier and funnier through this chapter. So enjoy an easy night. But it displeased Jonah 
what's the the word that's used there the the modifier exceedingly all right put a, a star by that we're going to see that word again so it displeased the prophet it displeased the preacher that he asked for money and people gave it displeased the salesman that he made a pitch and somebody bought it displeased the preacher that he gave an invitation and people responded to it and came to know the Lord. Does that make any sense to anybody? You know, it's like a car salesman going, you don't want to buy this, right? Yeah, I want to sell you this car. I want to buy it. You do? Wait, wait, wait. No, I'm angry that you want to buy the car. I'm angry that, that my words have impact. And so we begin to see inside of Jonah's uh, heart uh, that maybe there's some trouble in paradise. So he says, it displeased him and he was angry. The way that phrase uh, is put together uh, in Hebrew, it would translate better. He was burning up. He was burning up. Why was he so angry? Well, he didn't want to share the message with him in the first place. Because he, uh, you can say a lot of things about Jonah that aren't very positive. But what you can't say is that he did not know the character of God. He knew God. He, Lord, Yahweh, he knew God. And he knew his character. He he says that, "I, I knew that you would forgive him. I knew that you would forgive me. I, I was I was hoping to just watch the whole place burn to the ground. So one of the writers said Jonah was a little bit characteristic of the Jewish people, and in a lot of ways, we Christians. It's like we have our own little nation. God's doing his thing. He's our God. We're his people. We, we got a, a tight little thing here. Why do we need other people? We, we, we like our little church. Well, why do we need new people in our church? Why do we want visitors? What's wrong with the people we got? And that was sort of Jonah's mindset and sort of the Jewish mindset. And unfortunately, it's sort of our mindset. Well, if if new people come, I might lose power. If new people come, I might lose influence. If new people come, they may teach better than me, sing better than me, lead better than me. I don't want any new people. We've got the status quo, and we like the status quo. New people might not look like us. New people might not talk like us. New people might be Ninevites. And so he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. I, I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure I've prayed I told you so prayers. I don't remember any. And I'm trying to imagine me having the courage to do that. But that's exactly what Jonah did. He prayed and I told you so prayer. Yeah. He prayed and I told you so prayer. He said, isn't this what I said when I was 
600 miles away in my own country? Isn't this what I told you would happen? I preach, and I'm such a great preacher. Of course, it would be effective, even though I only preached eight words. He said, that's why I fled from you. That's why I wanted to go to Spain, Tarshish. Here we go. For I knew that you are a gracious God. Jonah was angry because God granted repentance to the Ninevites. He, he heard their prayer, which, which was his character, and Jonah knew it. The Assyrians were hated enemies, and Jonah wanted God to bring judgment on those people he hated. Isn't that us? We don't really want the rules to apply to us. We want everybody else to pay taxes, but we want to figure out how not to pay taxes. We want everybody else to be judged, but we want to figure out how not to be judged. I knew that you are a gracious God. So Jonah had run from the job. He knew that God was full of grace and mercy. And as a matter of fact, he's, he says that here. I knew that you are a gracious God. Gracious is, of course, a, a form of the word grace. And I say all the time in, in sermons that grace is getting what you do not deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You are a gracious and merciful God. So the Ninevites aren't going to get what they deserve. And they are going to get what they don't deserve. You are both grace-filled and mercy-full. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That word steadfast, that is a, a Hebrew word that's almost like a red flag. You know what it is here? I wasn't paying attention. Oh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> So in chapter 4, verse 2, abounding in steadfast love, that's the Hebrew word chesed. We spell it in English, C-H-E-S-E-D. The, the Hebrews have a hard guttural sound. They, they would say chesed. And, and that word is only used to describe God's love. The best Greek word for it is agape. It is, a, is, it a, it is a, um, an unlimited undeserved, uh, unilateral kind of love, God's steadfast love. So he says, he, I mean, what a great sermon about the character of God, right? You are grace-filled. You are mercy-full. You are steadfastly loving. I mean, that's Jonah knew God, or at least he certainly described him. And then the unexpected, chapter 4, verse 3. Therefore, O Lord, just let me die. Just let me die. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Now, again, I want to ask you to put a pin there and look over at verse 9. Do you do well to be angry for the plans? Verse 11, and should I not pity 
Nineveh. God teaches through questions all the time. Think about the questions throughout the scripture that God has used to teach. How about one from the Garden of Eden? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you you could? Chapter 4 of Genesis. Where is your brother Abel? What have you done? 1 Samuel 13. What have you done? Said Nathan to King David. 2 Samuel 12, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? Isaiah chapter 6, who will go for me? Who will I send? Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? Matthew 20, Jesus asked a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Luke 22, are you betraying the son of God with a kiss? Throughout the scripture, and it's the Hebrew way to teach with questions. And so here in Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Should you really be angry with the plan? Shouldn't I show mercy on 120,000 people and cows? Sorry, I'm on up with cows. So Jonah then does not answer the question. No response. Maybe he knows better. Maybe he knows he's trapped. So that's kind of how we know that the paragraph ends, that there's another subplot that's about to go on. This is really kind of entertaining. Jonah went out of the city sat to the east of the city and made a booth for him there. Booth, a little lean to a a tent, picture a a pop-up tent on the beach. Well, he constructed it out of plants. It is said that in the desert, shade can make a 60-degree difference. So he's in the desert. He builds this little shelter. He is east of the city on a hill. Why? Where are you guys going to go for the 4th of July? You're going to get where you can see the fireworks. And Jonah was still hoping that the Ninevites didn't really repent. And then he'd have a skybox seat to watch God destroy the city. Apparently, the 40 days was coming to an end. We really don't have the timeline in Jonah, but uh, Jonah was kind of hoping that maybe their repentance wasn't very sincere. Maybe it wasn't for real. Maybe God could see through it. Maybe their evil outweighed his grace and mercy. So he built him a little shelter facing the city so he could watch it burn. Well, he also, he, he didn't want to be there to begin with. Right. And the fact that God didn't give him permission to leave, so he's just going to get out of town. Yeah, but if God was going to destroy it, he'd want to get way out of town. Why would he? 
I mean, he knew that in uh, for the very beginning, he knew God would relented and get, was compassionate and gave 100 or whatever thousand people the, you know, mercy, took right. mercy on them. And, and now, why would he just sit there and wait for He's hoping. Uh, he's he's the prophet who never got it right. He's not the brightest bowl in the box right now. <clears throat> he's just trying to say, I am pouting. I'm mad. I'm not going to say another nice word to those people. And maybe, just maybe, God's going to burn it down anyway. I don't understand this. He was in the fish. He wanted, he was, what I have vowed, I will make good. He's telling the Lord, you know, yeah, okay, spare me or, or show me mercy. Show me mercy. Show me grace. And now he's saying, but don't show it to them. <laughs> We're that way all the time, Skip. We're that way all the time. Uh, I, I'm driving on the interstate and I'm speeding and the guy zooms past me over the next hill and I hope there's a cop that'll stop him. <laughs> I don't want the cop to stop me. Oh, just hit a nerve, didn't I, Skip? Yes. <laughs> okay, yes. moving on. Wow. We are we are moving on. We can't move past what she just said. I I heard it under her <laughs> breath. You guys that are online, you didn't happen to see Judy poke Skip when I said something about speeding and then open the cop is going to stop someone else. All right, back to Jonah so that Skip can be rescued. No way. Yeah. So he sat in the shade, verse 5, to see what would become of the city. <clears throat> Maybe... Maybe the finale will be spectacular. So the Lord appointed a plant. So he's in his little shelter, and the Lord makes a plant to grow. And, and this is probably a castor bean plant. The word that's used here describes a specific plant that grows very, very fast and has really, really broad leaves. And so Jonah's sitting there, and 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 the maybe the sun is starting to get there, and he's 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 east of the city, so the the little booth thing is facing west, and maybe it's getting towards the afternoon. So this little plant grows up over his head, and I wrote in the margin of my Bible, why do I think he's bald? <laughs> I don't know. It's just a more sanctified imagination. So the scripture says, God appointed a plant, and again, the Lord God appointed. He appointed the fish, he appointed the ocean, he appointed, God is sovereign over nature. So it would be a shade and save him from further discomfort. And Jonah's thinking, oh, me and God are finally friends again. So Jonah was, how glad? Exceedingly. Same word. Uh, I drew a little line from exceedingly in chapter 4, verse 1, to exceedingly in verse 6. Same word. He is, he is overjoyed. He is, he is, that's a superlative. He was so angry in verse 1. He is so happy in verse 6. 
But then the sun went down. Dawn came up. And God appointed a worm. So the word appointed. God appointed the fish. Same word. uh, Chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish. Same word, verse 6, chapter 4, the Lord God appointed a plant. Verse 7, God appointed a worm. He said, eat the plant. Once it's provided. Uh, prepared. Prepared. Does it use the same word in all three yeah. places? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The idea is that the sovereignty of God is expressed. God, you know, the worm is waiting for instructions. The fish is waiting for instructions. The plant is waiting for instructions. And God gave them. God said, eat the plant. So the worm attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God, same word. What is it? it is prepared, Richard, in yours? Yes. Provided, Provided appointed. Same word. The Lord appointed an east wind. So, so we get the idea that God is sovereign over nature. And uh, Emily, that's that's where I was uh, saying that your email was so important to me, is that, that in your email you said, doesn't this whole thing about the cows feel like God loves, God appoints, God controls, God is sovereign over all of it. And so here we see that he appointed now a wind. Um, anybody remember the Volkswagen Sirocco? That's the word that's used here for wind, Sirocco. And it means a scorching wind. So one says scorching east wind. Right, Sirocco. It's amazing the way that car makers name their cars. You know that the Chevy Nova never sold well in Mexico? Because in Spanish, no va means won't go. (laughs) Anyway, none of you care about that. So the Sirocco, the Volkswagen Sirocco, uh, beat down, the, the wind came, the scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. I get that. I was at home studying today. I about uh, twelve thirty. I said, you know, I need a break. I'm going to take a walk. Judy wants a package mailed, so I walked the two miles from my house to the post office, only to find out that the U.S. post office in Dunwoody is closed from twelve thirty to two for lunch break. <laughs> So I took my package to the church, hoping that the mail hadn't come here yet. The mail had already come. So I took my package back to the post office and waited until 2 o'clock. Well, 2.15 by the time lunch really ended at the Dunwoody Post Office. And by the time I got back to my house at about 2.45, I was kind of done with the heat. (laughs) I, I I was just a little done with it. And that's the idea that's here is that there's this this heat and and Jonah is exhausted. And he asked once again, 
I want to die. And I'm almost, again, seeing God as Father. You don't really want to do that. Be careful what you ask for. They must have been really vicious people. You know, <laughs> to say that. No doubt. Jonah hated him. So he asked that it might die. And once again, he says, there's an I told you so prayer. I, I, I just know that it's better for me to die than to live. Now, there's a, there's a backdoor kind of faith that's really kind of beautiful there. And that Jonah is not having it with the wind and the heat and the repentance of the Ninevites. He's just not feeling like his life is very productive. But what does it say about a God-fearing man to trust that God would take care of him when he dies, since he doesn't appear to be taking care of him when he lives? So he says, I want to die. So now we, we, we have the hinge verse that switches voice. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. This morning I read Proverbs chapter 30 in my devotion time. And uh, this feels a little bit like what God said to uh, the, through the, the writer of Proverbs, he said, uh, the, the, the wise king said, two things I ask of you, remove me from falsehood and lying, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food that is needful, lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Give me enough. Let, let me have enough. And God is saying to him, can't you have enough? You pity the plant. You didn't labor for it. You didn't work for it. I appointed it. <coughs> you didn't make it grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And then verse 11. Why should I not pity Nineveh? So Jonah's happiness is just as ego-driven as his anger. He's happy because the plant makes him comfortable. He's angry because the worm ate the plant. He's happy because he thought he was getting away from God. He slept peacefully in the boat. He's angry because God throws him in a fish, burps him on the beach, and then sends him back to Nineveh. And lo and behold, they repent. He's, his happiness is just as ego-driven as his anger. And sometimes I realize that I'm the same way. I'm happy because something makes me happy. And you know the word happiness. Have you ever heard somebody say happiness depends on what happens? <laughs> Contentment is when we put our rest in God. Happiness is circumstantial. Contentment is relational. His happiness is ego-driven. Even though he knows God, 
You are gracious. You are merciful. You are kind. You relent. You are a God of steadfast love. But he's not happy. So God closes with another rhetorical question. He says, shouldn't I pity this city? Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? The great city. There are 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. They are spiritually ignorant. They haven't had the, the benefit of a thousand years of covenant keeping. They haven't had the benefit of the cycle of the judges where a good judge and a bad judge. And, and you, know what, you know what I'm talking about when I say the cycle of the judges, right? Israel is rocking along. Then they sin. God allows enemies or circumstances to judge their sin. They repent. God forgives them. They are restored. That's the, if you read through the judges, that cycle is over and over again. The Ninevites didn't have that. They didn't have the story of King David, the story of King Solomon. They didn't have Jacob or Isaac. They didn't have Abraham sacrificing his son. They didn't have God uh, delivering the Israelites from the Egyptians in slavery. They didn't have any of that. And God said, they are ignorant. They don't know their right hand from the left hand. Shouldn't I pity them? We really wish Jonah would answer. Um, the Jewish people rarely leave this stuff alone. So the tradition in Jewish literature is that Jonah did answer and that he said uh, that, that in after chapter 4, verse 11, that Jonah responded and said, O oh Lord, govern the world according to your measure of mercy, according to your forgiveness. We can only hope that Jonah would have given such a response but the messiness of the book is that he doesn't, that it just ends and also cows <laughs> and also much cattle. What does the last line of your Bible say? Also many animals. And much livestock and many animals. Emily pointed out to me that this feels like God is coming full circle. He appointed a fish. He appointed a storm. He appointed a plant. He appointed a worm. God is sovereign over nature. Then why wouldn't we expect that he would love nature? Why wouldn't we expect that he would love his creation, even cows? Even cows. Even cattle are more important than plants or vines or selfishness or racism or nationalism or partisanship. Even cows are more important to God than all of this human drama. He appoints the storm, appoints the fish, appoints the plant, appoints the worm, and the cattle are listening. So, Got some questions for you. Do we think we have all of Jonah's preaching? Do we think that maybe something got lost somewhere? Seems to be a lot missing because yeah. there seems to be a whole story. 
We probably think that he preached more than just eight words. We, 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 we probably think that he at least implied that repentance was what God was about. We, we kind of think that. We don't know. We're not, we're not sure. Um, I don't know if we have all of, jo of Jonah's preaching or not. But I do know that we have what God wants us to have. And I love the messy ending. I love that we don't know. It's almost like there's a, a question. You know, God's teaching through questions. The, the, you know, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry for the plans? Should I not pity Nineveh? I almost feel like there's a question that hangs out over the end of it that the reader is supposed to answer. Are you going to be like Jonah? Are you going to be like Jonah? Or are you going to be a follower of the God that Jonah knew? And I think it's a messy question hung out for messiness to ask us a question. All right. Anybody got a comment or a question? We've had some people join us online. Catherine's with us. Carol's with us. Who is TK? Do I know TK? She joins us online. I think it's uh, Tara. Oh, Tara. Yeah, hi. <laughs> All right. Glad you're with us. Welcome. Thanks. I'm in Ohio. Oh, wow. She visits with us every Sunday morning. All right. Well, we're long distance then. Yep. Thank you for uh, keeping everything online for us. Yep. Yep. We miss you. If you don't know me. All of a sudden ends, my battery is about to die. All right. <laughs> so if well, that happens. Tara, come visit us sometime. And everybody else, I will see you back on camera the first Wednesday night in August. And... Uh,